And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they crowded again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now today's sermon will be a lot shorter than uh, usual because in a sense you're getting two sermons today. You know, one about baptism, which you heard, and, and one from our passage. Um, and, and after the sermon you'll also hear the testimony from Kevin. So you're hearing a lot of, a lot of sermons. <laughs> so uh, hopefully this will be, as I intended, uh, to be shorter than, a lot shorter than usual. What I want to do is... Uh, present to you three sets of questions from our passage today. Three sets of questions. Uh, one, questions for the skeptic. Two, questions for Jesus. And three, questions for us. Questions for you. Okay? Questions for the skeptic, questions for Jesus, and questions for you. And I'll, like I said, try to breeze through these. One, questions for the skeptic. In today's passage, uh, we see Jesus standing trial once again, but this time it's before Pilate. The Roman governor. Why? Uh, it says in verse 1, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They're holding up basically a strategic meeting together. Why is that? It's so that they can execute Jesus while being subjects under Roman rule. So, uh, Jewish law under certain circumstances, you could pronounce a death sentence, but all the historical evidence during this time shows you uh, they didn't really have legitimate uh, right to execute like capital sentences while they were under Roman rule and kind of not get into trouble with Roman rule. So, uh, oftentimes the way that Jews would execute kind of their own under their own jurisprudence at that sentence would be this mob sort of coming together out of nowhere, no trial, nothing official, and just stoning someone to death. And you see that happening to Stephen later on in the Book of Acts. Uh, but when it comes to an official trial by jury and then judge and all that, um, and witnesses, uh, they have to bring that to the Roman court. So that's why they take Jesus to Pilate. Uh, and the sentence here then wouldn't be for blasphemy, of course. It would be for something else, like treason. Because Romans don't observe Jewish law. They don't take blasphemy as seriously as the Jews. So they tweak the, the, the accusation now. So now what Jesus is on trial for is high treason. And that's why you see the question that Pilate asks here is not, are you the Messiah, the Ancient of Days, the Eternal Son of God, uh, Son of God become flesh, or the Logos, nothing theological. The question he asks is, are you the King of the Jews? And that's a political question. Right? Pilate is not infusing into that any sort of spiritual meaning. Are you about to commit treason against Caesar? That's what he's asking, which is punishable by death. Now, here's the question for the skeptic. 
All the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record Jesus standing trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. And that's not just some name-dropping, right? That's there. This is the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea, serving under the emperor Tiberius between AD 26 and 37. That is as specific a, as a historical reference can get. Okay? Uh, and the fact that Barabbas, the thief who was released in exchange for Jesus to appease the crowds, is mentioned here. This very well-known rebel during this time, uh, a, a sort of a notorious uh, a thief and murderer, to mention his name and his sort of uh, uh, the, the celebration of the release of, of, of a prisoner every year, that adds even more to the historical specificity of this account. And given the time the Gospel of Mark was already circulating in the early church, there's simply too much room for contradiction here if this was simply made up. Okay? If this was simply a fictional tale, right? no, one, no one would have taken this seriously if it was made up. Why? Because it would have been too easy to refute. Uh, there's, there, there are simply too many names mentioned here, too many details mentioned here. So how are... are Skeptical friends that we love having here and, and we welcome here. Can you say that this was a legendary tale? Okay. How can you say this was all made up without any historical veracity? All of this speaks to the historicity of Jesus' trial and therefore his crucifixion. And this skepticism, and including the, I, was, I would go as far as to mention the Islamic skepticism that Jesus was neither killed nor crucified. They must come to terms with this. Jesus stood trial before Pilate for treason. And, and in his place, the famous rebel Barabbas was released. And since you can't stand trial for blasphemy under Jewish court and for treason under Roman court and just walk away, right? we know Jesus had to indeed suffer the death penalty. He was crucified. Do you see this as a historically uh, reliable account, historically true account? Do you see how Mark and all the other gospel writers are s speaking to you as a credible eyewitness uh, not as writers of legends and fictional tales. Do you see that? That's the first set of questions. Okay. Then uh, there are questions raised to Jesus, and that's the second set of questions. So let's look at what kinds of questions Jesus gets. The first question Jesus, first question Jesus gets is, and I already alluded to this, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And to that question, Jesus says, you have said so. Which is interesting because it's neither this clear yes or a clear no, Right? That's what you're saying. You have said it. Right? It's a little ambiguous. Why is Jesus giving us an ambiguous answer here? Uh, because the actual answer to the question, are you the king of the Jews, uh, is yes and no. The answer is yes and no. Yes, if by that you mean the Messiah king who will reign forever in the kingdom of God. And no, if by that you mean this political king who is kind of overturn the, the Caesar's empire and restore physical Israel by fighting against Rome, picking up the sword. No. And clearly that didn't happen. And it turns out God's agenda was a lot bigger than that. So if, and if we look at John's account, and Jesus makes this a lot clearer in John's account too, uh, Jesus says before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not from the world. My kingdom is not from the world. And yet at the same time, 
And yet at the same time, he also says to him, you only have the authority that you have to try me and to execute me and do all that and to deliver me to be crucified because God has given you that authority. So in a sense, he's saying, I'm not political at all. And on the other hand, he's also saying, I'm totally political. It's a yes and no. It depends on what you mean. And as Christians, you, you do need to be able to be nuanced in that sense. You should not be all the way political like some very very passionately political people are. But at the same time, you shouldn't be totally detached and passive like people who are like, I, I'm on a scale to zero to ten, I'm on a zero in terms of political interest. You shouldn't be there either. You should be more nuanced than that because Jesus was more nuanced than that. He wasn't completely detached, yet at the same time, he wasn't trying to say, I'm here to restore a political kingdom. It's neither nor, and it's yes and no. And we have to be able to navigate that. Navigate that. How do we make the kingdom of God visible here on earth as we participate as citizens in society? Make the kingdom of God, eternal kingdom of God, more visible while, while being actively present. Because Jesus is here doing just that. And then in verse 4, Pilate again asks him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Okay. And to that question, to this specific question about the false charges being brought against him, Jesus says, Nothing. Why? What is he doing? See, Jesus could have gotten out of this as easily as Peter got out of his public trial. Remember how Peter got out? I don't know him. I'm not that man. That's all it took. And that's why this is amazing uh, pilot, because all Jesus has to do is say the magic words. I'm not a king. I'm not this Messiah, I, or I take back everything I said, or there was some misunderstanding. I am not who they say I, I say I am. I'm just an ordinary, regular Jewish carpenter. That's all he needed to say, and he would walk straight out of that courtroom. Just like Peter. Like Peter, all he had to do was deny himself. Pilate's amazed, right? It was never this easy a way out of a potential death sentence. So what does this mean? That Jesus remains silent. Remains convicted, remains accused. What does this mean? This means Jesus is here not by the will of the Jews, but by his own will, by his own choice. Were the Jews acting on their own free will in putting Jesus on trial? Yes. But the will of the Son of God and the Father who, who authored all this is sovereignly overarching all of that, all of human freedom. The Jews were willing this as the characters, in a sense, but Jesus was willing this as the author. Right? The Jews were willing this as sort of the Harry Potters and the, and the Baltimores and all that. But Jesus was over this like J.K. Rowling in the same story. Jesus is intentionally and consciously bringing about the suffering that begins to unfold in verse 15, where he is scourged, meaning flogged, and delivered to be crucified. And flogging during this time was... One of the most feared uh, forms of punishment because it was, it was almost as much as a capital punishment because many people did die from the flogging. Um, the soldiers would take this lengthy piece of leather, plant it with pieces of bone and lead, and form, form this chain. And the chain is meant to cling to the skin and literally tear the skin off. And Jesus' silence naturally led him to that, led him to this scourging. And that's why Pilate is amazed. You know what you're about to face, right? And through this, he, what Jesus does, right? So that's Pilate's intention in inflicting this on him. But Jesus' intention is this. He does exactly what he told his disciples he must do. 
to fulfill the scriptures. He's here fulfilling this prophecy. For example, in Isaiah 53, that the Messiah will be afflicted and oppressed, yet not open his mouth. He will be like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before its shearers. That's it. And that he will be pierced, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus' silence is actually saying a lot. He's saying, I'm the Messiah prophesied of old. I am this Messiah, this suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's silently telling us volumes without a word, telling us everything there is to know, in a sense, about who he is. Do you believe that? And, and with that, let me turn to the questions that remain for you, for, for us. See, we're already on point number three. Almost done. The first question is this. It's the question that Mark has been leading his readers to ask all, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, and that is, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Why do you think he is on trial right now? See, for the Jews, he's on trial for blasphemy. For the Romans, he's on trial for treason. How about for you? Why, why do you think he's on trial? Is he still on trial for your sins and my sins? Is he still on trial because he's promised, he said, the Son of Man must suffer all these things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again? Is that the reason why he's still on trial? You know, when it says here, Jesus made no answer and that amazed Pilate, it, it amazed him in one sense, but when we reflect on this, it should amaze those of us who believe, it should amaze us in another sense. It, should ama it, it amazed Pilate because it made him think, why would you do this to yourself? What, why would this man do this to himself? But does it amaze you that Jesus did all this for you, why would he do this for me? Why would he do this for me? Does it amaze you the way that it should? And the answer to that, of course, is so you would go free like Barabbas. So, because we are the Barabbas in this story. He did this so you would go, so I would go free. Do you believe that? Calvin put it this way. Whenever we hear that Christ stood before Pilate with a sad countenance, let us draw from its grounds of confidence that relying on him, relying on him as our intercessor, we may come into the presence of God with joy. Okay. He's talking about this exchange that's happening in this courtroom. On the one hand, he enters deeper into the trial with a sad countenance as we walk out of that trial with a joyful countenance. Do you see that's what's happening here? That this was for you. And when Pilate asks the question in verse 14, what evil have, has he done? What evil has Jesus done? And they have nothing to say. That's so that there will be silence when that question is asked of you. When, when you stand before God's judgment throne and when, when the question is asked, what, what evil have you done? Your answer would be the cross. Your answer would be nothing. Your answer would be I am forgiven. There's no record of any wrongdoing. Why? Because Jesus stood trial for all of my wrongs and all of my sins and all of my shame. There will be silence at your trial because Jesus stood silent in his. Do you see that? Do you understand and do you acknowledge that? See, if Jesus was stoned by death in an alley, by this Jewish mob, just out of fury, out of just this suddenness, uh, this event may not have been cemented in history. 
in, in the records. In the records, for example, even beyond the Gospels, like in Josephus, his account. But Jesus was tried officially, given a formal sentence by a Roman governor, so that it would be cemented in history, it would be clearly recorded for us, and so that it would be just as he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Son of Man must be lifted up for all to see. And with the crucifixion, he's lifted himself so high, even we would see. Even we would see it today. All through history, people would see how Jesus died, why he died, and what happened thereafter. Do you see him? Do you see him lifted up in history? Lifted on the cross for you and me? Do you see him? This is your Savior King standing trial for you. And last question is, last question is this, Will you begin to imitate this for others? And Jesus said, as I have loved you, as I have suffered for you, love and suffer for one another. And what does that mean? It means you're called, if you're a Christian, you're called to suffer on behalf of others just the way that he suffered for you. How? Of course, by helping the poor and healing the sick, standing up for the voiceless, standing up for justice, forgiving those who offend you. All of these things that require some sacrifice on your part, right? That's how. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your children, forgive your parents, forgive your brothers and sisters at church. This is how we represent Christ, by suffering the trial for others. Suffering for others. And in that way, loving one another. And the last question is this, will you do that? Will you do that as followers of Christ? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who stood trial for us, so that when we stand trial, we will be pronounced innocent. In fact, righteous and be blessed with all the inheritance that Jesus deserves because he he has exchanged his righteousness with our shame God help us see that and let that free us from all the trials that the world wants to put us in all the judgments from the world that make us want to work harder look better feel better the trial that never ends the performance that never ends, would you free us from that? Would you exonerate us from that because, because of our faith in, in Him? Because of what He suffered for us so that we would know in Him we are fully known and fully accepted by God. And that's all the love, the truest love, the most eternal and permanent love that we need. Would you, would you help us see that? And Lord, also touch our hearts and, and, and move us in, in a special way as we hear uh, our brother's testimony and and move us in that direction, drawing us closer and closer to you. For those of us here who have not been baptized, who are still asking questions, uh, may this reveal to them another, another layer of this truth, another layer of the gospel, so that they would just take another step uh, closer to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.